Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, howdy and good Saturday to you. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts with Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. Hey, Mr. Custer, I don't want to go. <laughs> it is Movie Saturday. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to be talking about movies. Sa- uh, we're going to be talking about Custer movies because. on this, the anniversary of the uh, Battle of the Little Bighorn, otherwise known as the Battle of the Greasy Grass, where the right side won. And we're also going to be talking with uh, our good friend Dan Galliasso, who uh, is uh, quite the. Well, I guess he's an expert. He stomped the ground. Yeah, he stomped the ground, so he must be an expert. (laughs) Still got mud on his boots. There you go. And he's uh, been writing a book about uh, the Little Bighorn and and Custer and has written numerous articles about Custer and uh, and that sort of thing. But before we get into that, we've got a little bit of housekeeping that we need to tell you about. And uh, first off, um, looks like Arizona is going to welcome back filmmakers with tax incentives. Yeah, the governor all is waiting for the governor to sign it. And he says and, he will and sign we're it. we're already standing out here with <laughs> our hand over our eyes <laughs> looking to the west, we're looking for the trucks to pull in. Well, that and we're scouting locations as we speak. So That's right. uh, about damn time that went away a long time ago and uh, it has been brought back. And that uh, is a wonderful I thing, so. I think. Also, uh, coming up... Uh, our good friend Mark Sankey out at uh, Mescal, uh, the uh, movie studio out there, movie set out there. Um, uh, they're going to be doing some sunset historical tours at the Mescal movie set. And uh, those are happening July 2nd and July 16. So the tours are from 6.30 to 7. Admissions 15 bucks a person. Kids under 10 are free. And uh, you can get yourself a reservation for this uh, online at mescalmovieset.com or you can telephone them at 520-255-6662. And it's a lot cooler out there than it is here in Tuesday. By golly, it certainly and it is. is. sure pretty. And probably a lot more humid out there than it is over well, here. They, I don't know. Well, no, they get more rain out there, too. Though. Well, that's what they claim. Well, no, I've been out there when it rains. <laughs> yeah. I rain. lived in Cochise County. I know. Yeah. It, it does rain a lot. Dan Galioso, welcome. Well, thank you for joining us, sir. Well, thank you for the invite again. I'm I'm sorry, but I have to interrupt you. I forgot Bunker has one more thing there. Harry and his enthusiasm to get into this great topic, but I've got another uh, very interesting, I think, topic here. Uh, It's uh, concerning a pop-up ranch production by Ranch Preservation in cooperation with the Custer Gallatin National Forest to benefit the preservation and restoration of the historic OTO Ranch. Now, it's the, it's, the event is the Yellowstone Pop-Up Ranch. It runs from July 24th through August 20. It's to benefit the historic OTO Dude Ranch in Gardner, Montana. And they are inviting you to join them for a week-long stay at the historic ranch there. It's uh, just over 10 miles from the north gate of the Yellowstone National Park. It's in a mountain valley up there along the Cedar Creek. Uh, the OTO Ranch is the first dude ranch, historical dude ranch, if it all started. And uh-huh. uh, the White Stallion here, they're in connection with that because they're part of the Dude Ranch Association. But uh, just you know, it's a, a pop-up dude experience, which is unique in itself. And it, it's just like, it's kind of like, for this time anyway, a one-time only event. And there'll be the lodging up there will be in the historic OTO log cabins. With cozy bedding, that's Navajo rugs and beautiful appointments. I think beautiful appointments means doodads uh, on the wall oh. tables. I'm not sure. You know, like a buffalo head looking down at you. Oh. <laughs> uh, and they'll provide the modern uh, glamping style bathrooms for each of the ranch cabins, which means there's not in-house facilities. Okay, that's, that's good. That's you know, you go a little trip to the outhouse. Uh, adventures. There's going to be classic dude ranch adventures awaiting including horseback riding in the Montana wilderness, sport shooting, archery, and hiking, 
there'll be special events and uh, an event entertainment and the dining. This should be good because this is going to be ranch style stuff. But meals during the pop up uh, will include range cooking, the cowboy cookouts on the front lawn, cocktail and dinners enjoyed in the expansive historic lodge, and of course the good old brown bag lunches out on the uh, trail rides. All right. And I would love to do that. That would be so Maybe you should uh, make a trip up there and you can report back to us. Well, let's start a, let's start a fund me. A GoFundMe page? Yeah. How much are you going to kick in there, Todd? I, I think I got a buck 20. <laughs> I'll take it. It's a start. <laughs> Dan Galeoso, thank you again for, uh, let's start this over. Thanks again for joining us uh, on uh, Movie Saturday to talk about uh, George Armstrong Custer. Well, my pleasure, guys. Where do what, we start? Uh, well, I want to yeah. know what, what what is it about this man that so many books have been written, so many movies have been made. He's an industry. Uh, yeah, he's a kind of a cottage industry. Uh, the man was a uh, an egotist, super ego. Of course, to reach that level as an officer, I suppose one needs that. But he he was an ego. He ignored orders, and uh, it was all all for George. You know, that's probably a little bit rougher than there's two sides of the story there. But remember, he was at the end of the Civil War after Lincoln and Sheridan, Grant and Sherman was the most famous officer to come out of the Civil War. He was the boy general at, at Gettysburg. He wound up fighting off. Jeb Stewart and saving the back of Cemetery Ridge, which Stewart would have crashed into as Pickett's Charge was coming up the other side. And, uh, you know, he, he was flamboyant, no question about that. He knew how to publicize himself very well and would sometimes get in trouble for it. But there's something about that image. And, you know, people like Brian Dippy, who's an old friend of mine and one of the top Custer historians out there, who studied, you know, there's been more painted, more filmed, more books than any other American military Old West subject. Wow. Including Billy the Kid. Wow. And Geronimo. I mean, and they just keep on coming. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing. I mean, uh, one year, I, I've gone several years, I would go up for the Little Bighorn Associates. That is a group of history buffs that uh, get together every year. They, some of them are more partisan on, on the Plains Indian side. Some of them are more partisan on the Custer and the Army side. They actually get along quite well. And one of the good things that's <laughs> it's going, the yeah, there's not, you know, there's not a lot, of, a lot of things you might expect. But one of the great things that came out of that is several of these people are very wealthy, and they wanted to see the battlefield preserved. And so they have leased from the Crows the land directly in back of Custer Hill where the monument is all the way to Reno Benteen Battlefield, seven miles away, where the survivors of the regiment gathered, you know, in the aftermath of the battle. And I got to go do something very few people have gotten to do up there is go horseback from right behind Custer Hill all the way to Reno Benteen and back because of my friend Jim Hatzel who for three years in a row, he, he's a, one of the top-notch cavalry reenactors. If you're doing anything film in that area of Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, North Dakota, he lives in, in Rapid City, but Jim's the go-to guy. If you need to shoot at Mount Rushmore, he knows the people there. If you need a Buffalo Ranch to film Buffalo on, he knows those people. If you need a grip truck, he knows where to find you a grip truck. <laughs> but he trained... The rangers at the new rangers every year at Little Bighorn National Monument in cavalry equipment, strategy, tactics, etc., so they could authentically. And you also have, you know, several crows that have worked up there that do the same thing for the Plains Indian side. And so, you know, you have like two lectures, and he was the guy that would always do that. He had a load of horses coming back from a little film shoot, and he called me up and said, You're going to be in Billings, aren't you? And I said, Yeah. He goes, well, how'd you like to go horseback on the on, on Custer Battlefield? And it was like, oh, wow. I'm there. Yeah. yeah. 
So we he hauled the horses, and right across the way from Custer Battlefield is the uh, 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 it's Putt Thompson's, I guess you say, both trading post and restaurant, and we all know Putt. And uh, Putt's an honorary member of the Crow Tribe and has been up there for years. And so we uh, had a little corral for, for the horses there in the back and uh, rode all that day, the seven miles one way and then seven miles back, because you can't take horses on the National Park Service land. No. But this preservation land that has been set aside in this long-term lease, you can And when the and reenactment so- happens, that's not, a, that's not happening right at the site. That's uh, 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 off, off. That's the, the real bird ranch. Uh-huh. The were crows up there, and and you know have been there for years. And the real birds have been putting on that reenactment yeah. for years. There's another reenactment that goes goes on down at the uh, Hardin Fairgrounds as well. Yeah, I want to. And go that's back. more of a pageant. I want to go back to the Civil War years for just a minute, because you know it's like people don't realize he was in nine major battles. But in between the major battles, he was in all kinds of skirmishes. He fought, basically, except for a brief period when he was wounded, uh, he fought continuously. There's no question the man and, was a, uh, a dedi- was dedicated to what he was uh, well, I wanna doing. Go, I want to go on further, though. This is one of the things, you know, it was, it was uh, uh, Sherman's uh, desire that his generals lead Mm-hmm. Troops. In other words, when there was a charge, he wanted the general in in the front, right, right. and that's when Custer. He was he was always been a little flamboyant, but that's when he really started the big hat, you know, the fancy coat, the big red scarf. But his he had a reason for doing that, and that was because how do you rally the, the troops if you look like all the other officers there? And you're leading, but if you stand out, and there's many instances there where he actually turned around the retreat or the beginning of a retreat just by his presence and the people, the troops being able to recognize who it was. And you know, it's like you know, they talk about the uh, loyalty of his troops. Uh, that is, you know, that's that can be very. Especially during this war, because you got a lot of the troops there. You know, they're they're Germans that speak a little English. They're Irish that don't care which side they're on, and you get the kind of loyalty that he had from his men. Uh, you know, it just and he he went he went into battle situations where he was vastly outnumbered, and just through guts, determination, and I, whether you know, his guts, ego, I don't know. No, Dan, I've got to ask you a question. Um, it just always bothered me. Officially, how many men did Custer enter the valley with? Oh, right by me again, Todd. I couldn't quite hear it. Uh, how many men did Custer enter the valley with? Uh, no more than 225. Generally, 212 is the accepted figure. There are some bodies that were never accounted for. And, and then so, how many men total? I know all of Custer's 212 were t- gone. Dead. The whole regiment, when they first got the, got to the Little Bighorn Valley, was somewhere around 720. And you had so rigorous the, scouts. So you the had remaining about 40 number yeah. of Benteen and Reno's men, how many were taken from those two commands? Died. Well, when, they, when he split up the command, you had three troops in Benteen's group. You had three troops in Reno's group. Then the pack train had... A troop guarding that, and also a sergeant or a corporal and five privates from each one of those companies. So you had twelve companies in a in a cavalry regiment in those days, and so you know you you had as he's he had the largest contingent. So he's got five troops in his headquarters battalion, and that's considered the battalion that also his brother Tom Custer would have been second in command of. But that's who he's with. That's the two hundred and twelve or so men. You know, once they split off. So, you know, each one of those troops that were under strength at the time was between 40 and not more than 50, hardly any of them at 50. Lots of officers who were in the regiment but were not at the Little Bighorn at the time were assigned on recruiting duty, were on staff duty with other officers, etc. So, you know, essentially of the regular troops, somewhere around 720. A small number of civilians were scouts and packers, 
and a group of Arikara scouts and crow scouts that there were six crows and somewhere around 30 or 40 Arikara scouts. You know, I want to point something out here at this point, you know, because there's always been, you know, there's always been the thing, well, he made the big mistake. He split up his command. And uh, in the first letter that Terry, General Terry wrote after, after the event, uh, he was ex- trying to, he was explaining or trying to explain what happened, and he stated that this, uh, this splitting your command was standard cavalry practice at that time uh, against the Plains Indians. So what he did was not a military blunder; it was following standard military practice. SOP, standard operating That's procedure. Absolutely true, Bunker. And, you know, back in the mid-1970s, the Army Command Staff College at Fort Leavenworth instituted a thing called the Staff Ride, where they would study a battle from the perspective of the American commander. All the details, everything from your food and rations, your transportation, in this case horses, your feed for those horses, what intelligence did you have available, how did your weapons operate, and then they would go out to that battlefield, and Little Bighorn was the first one they ever did this with. And they go, Crow Agents, or uh, crow, Crow's Nest is the spot where kind of everything starts to come together the morning of June 25th, very early in the morning. The scouts have been up on that bluff, and they bring Custer up there, and he can't quite see the smoke from the fires that they can see. And they, this is what the Army does. They bring you out there to Crow's Nest. They go, okay, gentlemen, it's 530 in the morning on June 25th, 1876. You have studied everything to make your decisions as the American commander would have made on that day. What they do you all do? Ma- and then they ride to the next point. <laughs> then they ride to the next point where they split the command. And They've all, they all make the same decisions Custer made mm-hmm. based upon their knowledge of the last semester mm-hmm. of studying all these different things about the 7th Cavalry at the battle and the things that they would have known or not known. And, you know, an interesting thing, too, is, you know, that you mentioned, uh, you know, the smoke from the fires in the village. Uh, but it's not uncommon in early morning to have a haze, a dust a low-lying dust haze. Yeah. And so that could easily be, you know, just. Yeah. All right. got to do our first commercial break here. And uh, Movie Saturday, we are streaming live from the White Stallion Ranch, as we do every Saturday. And um, we'll be back with much more of uh, Dan Galeazzo talking about uh, Custer and Custer movies here on Emil Francis' Voices of the West. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management, 7411 East Tancoverde in Tucson, 520-777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient. 
and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Boss, I wouldn't be so awful careless about this shooting and cattle wrestling. Was I you? You don't like it, eh? Well, I was only thinking. I'll do all the thinking. You and the rest do as you're told, and we'll get somewhere. Where? You got a six-gun where your brains ought to be. This is the Voices of the West. Can't talk about Custer without playing <clears throat> Gary O in there. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> you know, I don't have a six-gun for a brain. I got a Derringer. <laughs> Yeah, I know that. I know that's right. Welcome back to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, Dan Galeoso someplace in California there, I, I think, anyway. <laughs> sure. uh, anyway, we're talking about Custer movies here on Movie Saturday uh, as we stream live to you from the White Stallion Ranch. Well, you know, we were just talking about guns and yeah. derringers. Uh, there's a great picture of Custer at West Point. And he is carrying a Colt model 1855 side hammer pocket revolver. Ooh. And it is such a neat picture. And then you also have a picture of the revolver. Yeah. yeah. You know, not with him. But what a neat Sweet. little gun. Nice. You know? Yeah, I love those things. Okay, right. I've got another tidbit. Oh, I quickly. Wanna get, I want to get these out of the way. Uh, after, after the Civil War, during his downtime before he was uh, re enlisted, uh, he was offered a position and $10,000 in gold to be the adjutant general of Benito Juarez's army <laughs> in Mexico. Could you imagine how history might have changed if Boy, he'd gone down there? That would have been funny. Yeah. That would have, now, now, there's always, there's a lo- always, well, seems to be lots of confusion about what rank Custer actually was. He was, in fact, when he was killed, a lieutenant colonel. Right, exactly. He was breveted yeah, as a general. Major general. Major general. And what that means is uh, you need that kind of staff officer, that command officer uh, at, at the head. And so during the Civil War, uh, mainly during the Civil War, there were lots of uh, officers Tons of who were uh, who were actually captains but breveted as lieutenant colonels. Battlefield colonels. Yeah, it's like a battlefield commission. And, you know, the other thing, too, is besides being a brevet major general, that was a cavalry volunteer. Yeah. So that wasn't even regular army. Yeah. So, so Custer was a lieutenant colonel. So get that out of our, yeah. get that out of, out of my system. The first I don't, I movie. I like that when they call him general. I know the first movie that uh, IMDb says is about uh, uh, George Custer is called On the Little Big Horn or Custer's Last Stand. It's a 1908 or 1909 movie rather. Uh, starring Hobart Bosworth, Betty Hart, and Frank Walsh. And um, there's not a whole lot to talk about with the movie. I got some stuff. <laughs> Except that Bunker has some stuff on it. <laughs> well, this is interesting because uh, it, it, they believe that it was shot at the Silly Chicago studio, but they have Montana footage of a reenactment near the real battle site intercut with the scene shot at the studio. Wow. Okay. All right, authenticity, uh-huh. and that's the one that had the three Sioux that Dan mentioned earlier. Uh-huh. And by the way, as a footnote, Tom Mix did not work in that movie. Oh, there's actually a lot of confusion about that in the next film. The if I did a research grant up at the Buffalo Bill Historical Center a number of years ago and got into a lot of their you know down in the basement kind of stuff, and they have this wonderful poster. That is from the Montana Film Company, and it is for Custer's Last Hand. It's got nothing to do with with uh, uh, the Selig people. And that I finally found at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences a little clip, a clipping that said from, and it was from 1909 that the Montana Film Company were just releasing. This and it was a short, probably of maybe fifteen minutes or yeah. twelve minutes, something like that. 
the Selig movie. Everybody thought that that poster was from the Selig movie. And it turned out it's not. The Selig movie was the second movie ever done, but the much better known version because Selig was a big producer in that time period. And so, like we were talking about before the show started, you know, Selig, a lot of those movie companies left the New York, New Jersey area because Thomas Edison had a patent on right. movie cameras. Yep. And they got chased out or else they were going to get, you know, closed up and busted down. And so Selig moved the company to Chicago. And uh, there was a Fourth of July extravaganza that had it, the Battle of Little Bighorn was the whole half of it. And the other half was the Battle of the Monitor and Mermamac that they reenacted from the Civil War on Lake Michigan. Wow. And so they had, they had brought out, it was, nowadays it would be, of course, politi very politically incorrect, but it was like, wild red Indians was in the, the ad. And evidently Selleck heard that they were doing this, and they had brought out some Lakotas from, uh, from the Dakotas to be part of, of the reenactment. And so he convinced them to, to come out to his studio, and he filmed some footage there. There was another very early reenactment like that that was filmed. We have no footage that happened in South Dakota. Hmm. And it was National Guard troops who portrayed the troopers. And so that early sound stuff is like gets really confused and hard to keep track of. Yeah. And you know so that Dan, the cell of Mr. Last Stand um, was re-released in uh, 1925 with added footage, but it was still basically the same film. Go ahead, Todd. Um, you know, there's this art. There's so many arguments, Dan, over uh, the battle and how this happened or when that happened and who did this and who did what, but. Oh, when when do you think Custer died? I mean, if there's 212 men, was he the first guy to go? Was he the last guy to go? Was he five from the last? Was he five from well, the first? Well, there's no way in, of knowing kind of that specifically. But uh, his body certainly found on Custer Hill. He shot in the left temple and the left breast. So the stories of Custer committing suicide, if you're right-handed... That's pretty damn awkward. Yeah. Plus, it just wasn't in the character of the man, you know, when you get right down to it. Now, there are stories of a group of young Cheyenne that were down at the bottom of Medicine Tail Coulee as the battle on Custer Hill was just starting to unfold. And we know that a troop was sent down to Medicine Tail Coulee on a reconnaissance to see if they could cross there or not. And these five or six young Cheyenne fired at them, and they always said, you know, we wounded a, a guy in a buckskin jacket that looked like he was a leader. The problem with not the accuracy of that story in terms of, you know, that happening, but it wasn't Custer. The last person to see Custer alive was Giovanni Martini, the trumpeter messenger that left with the last message to Benteen. And when he testified at the Reno Court of Inquiry, Four years later, which was to either exonerate or charge Major Reno for his participation or not participation in the battle, Giovanni Martini gave a detailed, you know, of what Custer would look like, and he had taken off his buckskin jacket and tied it on the back of his saddle. Now, there were six other officers with the Custer Battalion that also had buckskin jackets, but it was a hot day. Yeah, probably yeah. a lot of them had taken them off, but we know of at least one Lieutenant Porter who didn't take it off because his bloody buckskin jacket was found in the remnants of the camp by General Terry's command two days later. That was one of that was uh, in that article that you did, Dan. That was uh, the uh, one of the uh, Braves saw that, or or um, he was going to take that ca uh, that jacket, but saw that it had been bloodied and threw it back. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So now, I mean, there's, when you talk about, you know, Custer's death, there were lots of, there was a gathering in 1909 that was filmed by uh, a documentary film producer, a very well-known guy in the, that time period that I can't remember his name now. And he, uh, he came from a wealthy family, and they put up a reward for the, 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 Plains Indian, because there were a lot of Lakota and Cheyenne at this gathering, who would take credit for killing Custer. And they just picked somebody out. 
and that was White Bull, who yeah. was a nephew of, of Sitting Bull. Right. And but there was no there are great legendary stories about that, but there's just no way of knowing. We do know that he's not the officer that got shot at the bottom of Medicine Tail Coulee. And from a movie standpoint, there's a wonderful script that was never made that was going to be the longest day with Custer. 20th Century Fox had bought the rights to uh, the book, uh, let me see here the name, Custer's Fall by David Humphreys Miller. And that was all made up of Indian accounts, some of which were later disputed because it appears Miller made up a lot of that stuff. And he knew how to make it up, make it up to make it look like, you know, he knew what he was talking about because he had been raised up in Montana. But the uh, a tremendous amount of research went into the script. A guy named Wendell Mays wrote it. And at that time, that story of Custer being wounded down at Medicine Tail Cooley was almost accepted fact. A lot of people took that in the early 1960s that that's the way it happened. So when this guy wrote the script, Wendell Mays, he had Custer getting wounded there, and they had this, they, they had a lot of the real people all identified, and the real troops and, and everything. They, the, the guy did a really good job of reading the script. I've read the script. You know, I was and, supposed to work on that. <laughs> oh, then you, you know, I mean, 20th Century Fox was evidently a wash in canvas for, for Indian teepees and lodges and wagons and that talked to people who were at the studio at the time. Well, listen to this. This Because we were doing the Hallelujah Trail at the time, and the guy who was the uh, cavalry instructor and was in charge of us, he ran us through all the drills and everything, uh, just before the show ended, he came up to a bunch of us, Neil Summers, myself, a couple other guys, and he says, I've got this really, really big Custer movie to do up in the Dakotas. And he says, they want me to go up a couple of months in advance and train cavalry and train Indians because what they want to do is they want to shoot the battle in one shot from a dirigible. Oh, boy. Looking down on it. And then, of course, you go back and read, you know, yeah. do all the fill-in shots and stuff. And we thought, man, we're you know, died and gone to heaven. We were going to really get rich and fat, and it never happened. Oh, well. Hey, we got to do our next commercial break. We're talking with Dan Galeoso in California about uh, Custer and Custer movies here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Why are we doing that? Because it is Movie Saturday, streaming live from the White Stallion Ranch. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. We'll be back after these messages. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent on our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansion expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. A little lady up the road apiece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Beth here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchmen to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but like henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scrappy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was and I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you and that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling and much more. 
Our Rena henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a Renahentz to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Renahentz, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. The Colonel was like a father to me, and if my life would bring him back, I'd be only too glad to stick my neck in the noose. But it won't. And in the meantime, the three men who dry ghosted him are seated in this courtroom, and they haven't been tried. Take him away. But if there's any real justice, there'll be another trial before I swing. That'll be a quick trial of gun smoke and wooden overcoats for those three killers. This is the Voices of the West. Back to Emil Francis, Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Robertson, Los Angeles, Dan Galeosa is our guest, is in California someplace. We're talking about uh, Custer movies here on uh, Voices of the West. It is movie Saturdays. So we're streaming live from the White Stallion Ranch. And, uh, I don't know. Custer could have used some Rana Henches, I reckon. Uh, <laughs> in any event, the next movie that I've got on my list here, according to IMDb, uh, for Custer movies, came out in 1912, and it was called Custer's Last Fight, and it starred uh, Francis Ford, John Ford's brother, Grace Cunard, and William Eagleshirt, and uh, Francis Ford also directed the movie. It was a 30-minuter, uh, and uh, a couple of other folks in it uh, that you have seen in uh, uh, B-Westerns uh, from the 40s. Tom Chatterton is one of those guys. Uh, Charles K. French is another, and Art Accord. Uh, you've seen them in uh, numerous bees as well. So, oh, there you go. Well, that is that was considered the second Custer movie. That's yeah. And it was shot on the Malibu Hills, where the 101 Ranch. And it was it was a Inceville uh, yeah. Thomas Ince production. And, that and uh, you know it's. You know, this this is the one. This is what I said earlier. I, may, I misspoke. This is the one that in 1925 they re-released it, and uh, you know, with added. Mm -hmm. Next movie coming up is uh, 1913. It's a shorty. Uh, it's called Campaigning with Custer, and uh, let's see. Director is Henry McRae. Uh, stars William Clifford, Sherman Bainbridge, Val Paul, and Clarence Burton. Uh, synops. Brief synops. Uh, General Custer stationed at Fort Riley in the early 70s to suppress the Sioux. He sends Captain Clifford with an important message to Fort Wallace. I have not seen that movie, but uh, uh, some of these... So Dan, well, here's we don't know that a print even existed. That. Exactly. I mean, so many of these are lost. Here's one. Dan, uh, i got to ask you the question of, out of all, and you've written, or you're writing a book on all the Custer films and so on, but in your opinion... Uh, which film captures the man the best, and which film, maybe it's the same film, which film captures the battle the best? Well, I don't think anyone will argue with this. Errol Flynn and They yeah, Died With exactly. Their Boots On captures the man. I mean, you know, everything to, when you watch them riding into this fictional trap, and Custer puts the brakes on, and he slide stops that horse, that's Errol Flynn really doing that writing. Yeah. And, and Errol Flynn's panache about life, you know, you just had to think. And even his scene with Olivia de Havilland. Well, and, their character uh, was so much alike. Uh, Errol Flynn was great as a swashbuckler. He made you believe he was indeed a pirate. And he makes you believe that he is Custer. I have a quote here. He was uh, flamboyant. Well, he flamboyant. I have a quote here from early in the film. Uh, they died with their boots on. Just a bloody war and quick promotion. You bet. Fellow ought to come out of this amazed at least. <laughs> Quite an optimist, aren't you? No, sir, just feel lucky. It'll take more than luck with your grades and tactics. Well, hello, Sharp. You know each other? Yes, General Blowhart and I were at the academy together. <laughs> sure, that's right, sir. Now there, gentlemen, there's a face I always like to shake hands with. <laughs> oh, boy, better be a little circumspect with your squadron commander. He had. You may have buffaloed your way through West Point, Custer, but you tow the mark here. Attention! All right, gentlemen, as you were. Mr. Custer, sir, just reported. 
Well, Mr. Castillo arrived at an opportune moment. We're moving on Manassas Junction, attacking at 4 a.m. 4 a.m.? Good. We'll have them on the run by 4 p.m. I knew as soon as I got down here, things would start moving. <laughs> yep, and uh, so there you have it, Custer the Man. <laughs> and, Bill, and Dan, which film, uh, shall I say, encapsulated or characterized the battle best? Well, the miniseries, Son of the Morning Star, would be the most authentic. Right. Uh, the clothes are right. The weapons are right. Uh, it gives more, more, more time to what's happening with the Lakotas and the Cheyenne. But Gary Cole just doesn't have the personality. He never quite learned how to ride a horse for the role either. <laughs> and you know, it, so from a physical look, certainly that. Now, there's an unsung film that doesn't directly say it's Custer, but a lot of the the broad strokes are correct, and, and Bunker probably knows something about this film as well, called The Glory Guys, yeah, which is a Tom fictionalization Tom. of the Custer fight, and it plays out. You have an officer, Major Marcus, instead of Marcus Reno. They draw up in a skirmish line. They uh, have a retreat across the river up to the bluffs, and the Custer presentation, Andrew Duggan plays this General McCabe, and so anyone who believes in the real negative portrayal of Custer would, would go along with that. The action sequences are actually very spectacularly staged. They had 1,500 Mexican cavalrymen to both play Sue and Cheyenne and to play the regiment. And, and Sam Peckinpah wrote the script. So it's, it's an unsung movie, but it's worth checking out. You know, speaking of unsung movies, probably the template of all of the movies that were about Custer but didn't mention him by name, Fort Apache with uh, Henry, mm -hmm. Henry Fonda. Oh, uh, sure. You know, it's just, it's that template, it's the character. He's not flamboyant, it's a, he's a, a dark nature uh, Custer, but it's the mistakes, you know. Well, Santa Fe Trail as well, uh, uh, he, uh, Flynn plays Custer in that one mm -hmm. too. Uh, and Mr. Flamboyant. Dan, what'd you think of uh, Little Big Man? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Little Big Man. It's a good-looking film. It's, uh, you know, it's so facetious, and if you read the novel, the novelization yeah. is, is very, very different. It's, you know, it, it gives Custer more of his due. Uh -huh. and, and so, you know, they were really making a movie about the Vietnam War. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Hey, it's, it's Dan George's movie. Yeah. Yeah, he steals it. Yeah. yeah. I saw that after it came out and uh, pretty much thought the same well, thing as well, you did. You know, you know, it's, uh, oh, what's his name that played Custer? Uh, Richard Mulligan. Richard Mulligan. Mulligan. Yeah, I mean. From the TV show Soap. He's the yep. one, he's the, he's the, it seems to be he's the one that more people after, after Flynn recognizes Custer. I don't know what the reason is, but because it's such a, uh, over the top. Well, the ludicrous. film was a financial success, yeah. so a lot of people saw it. That's true. What do you, you think? Know, I'll about, tell you that's uh, internationally. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, internationally, that film has traveled a lot. I remember bringing uh, a print from a very good artist of, of Custer's Last Stand into a frame shop here in L.A. years ago, and it was owned by a Korean guy, from originally from South Korea, and he saw the print. And he goes, I have a question for you. Is General Custer? And I go, yes, it is. And he said, I hear a very, very bad man. And I go, why would you think that? He goes, I see movie with Dustin Hoffman years ago. <laughs> so, Dan, what do you think about the Robert Shaw portrayal of Custer? Oh. Yeah, it's, boy, that's a strange movie. You know, it's it was shot in Spain. It was made supposedly for Cinerama, although it got very few Cinerama uh, uh, showings. And it's just a very, very odd character because you can tell the European influences. Robert Shaw would have made a probably a pretty good Custer, you know, a more authentic kind of film. And a better but, wig. Uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, the best thing is it is the, in it is the, the, the poster, which is by the famous Western artist Frank McCarthy. 
Well, it's the ultimate Hollywood Custer's last stand with Custer in the center with a saber slashing away at what you assume might be Crazy Horse, but this mounted war chief and the other troops with the flags behind him. You know, it's not authentic, but it is like the ultimate Hollywood depiction. It's the painting over the saloon. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's better than the painting over the saloon. <laughs> well, you know, I want to mention one here because it's a little picture, and Custer isn't really the focus of it, but it's a great Custer movie, and that's Tonka, Disney movie. Oh, yeah, no, that's one of the the better depictions, even though it's, it's incredibly negative, but in terms of they shot it in Oregon, they picked places that look like the battlefield, no sabers on the troops, the flags are right, uh, the action's pretty well staged. They even have Mark Kellogg, the newspaper man, as one of the characters. Yeah. And uh, I think a guy named Louis Foster was kind of a Disney, you know, uh, studio director, was the guy who directed it. Yeah. But uh, that, you know, it was based on a children's book about Comanche. And, uh, you know, it's it's not a bad film and, and depiction at all. I enjoyed it. You know, I just want to read something here. This is from a guy writing a column about Custer. On film, Custer almost always wielded an anachronistic saber, wore the wrong uniforms, flew the wrong flags, and fired inaccurate pistols. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty apt description of Custer movies. That sounds like something I wrote, actually. <laughs> Maybe you did. <laughs> I think perhaps the worst Custer movie and uh, is uh, is a serial that came out oh, in 1936 yeah. called Custer's Last Stand. Um, who, who Universal, I think, uh, released it. Yeah, Elmer Clifton directed. Uh, Rex Lease is Stage the and screen production. Yeah, Re Rex Lease is uh, uh, plays Kit Cardigan, and we're not so sure if that's supposed to be a vague reference to. Kit Carson oh, or that's not? The wrong place, the I know. Wrong of course it is. Uh, William Farnham. I mean, it's got a good cast. Reed Howes, yeah. Uh, William Farnham, Jack Mulhall, Dorothy, Dorothy Gulliver, uh, Ruth Mix is in there. Um, George Chesabro, uh Thunderclouds in there. Uh, Glenn played Guster. Yeah, I know. Uh, Milburn Morante is in there. I mean, you know, it, it's a pretty good cast, uh, but it is really a tired and sucky cereal. Fifteen chapters, 328 minutes, but it also was released as an 84-minute film. I wish I had found the 84-minute one because I <laughs> might have been able to sit through that. It might have been that. more coherent. Uh, huh? I managed, uh, the wife and I managed to sit through two chapters of this, and it was like, really? We want to watch this? <laughs> I don't think so. So well, Just fast forward to the Custer's the battle stuff. And the interesting thing about that movie is within their depiction of the battle, they have a sequence where Custer has troops firing volleys to try and, you know, get the attention of Reno or Mentine to come to the rescue. That information was not readily available. That's actually true. But yeah. it wasn't available out in any of the published sources when the, the serial was made. Hmm. Wow. How the heck did they come up with that? Yeah. Okay, I've got one here for you. This is probably the worst Custer movie ever made. And I, I, you may not have even heard of this one, Dan. But then again, you probably did. It's a, a movie called Don't Touch the White Woman. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a Custer story, but it's done in modern times. It's an Italian film. And it is probably one of the worst, craziest movies ever made. Somebody. It is another where the poster is a really great poster, <laughs> but it was made by an Italian Marxist director. Yeah. It was shot in Paris. The famous uh, shopping area, La Halles, was being torn down, and they had like this kind of canyon. And so they shot the little bighorn there, and it's, it's an acid trip western is what I call it, <laughs> because you have... Custer, and it, it was Marcello Mostrioni playing Custer, yeah, who was God. in love with Catherine Deneuve, oh who's a nurse, oh, and it's the craziest thing you've you've ever seen. And, and, and the Indians are, they're bizarre, too, yeah. yeah. They are Vietnamese refugees playing the Indians. Okie dokie. And well, yeah. on that note, we're going to take our final break with Movie Saturday at the White Stallion Ranch. 
We're streaming live to you, and it's Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. We'll be back. Copper and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I, Miss Wilkinson, is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tanker Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at Voices of the West.net. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Take Dodge City over there. Gamora of the Plains, they call it. Jump-off spot. People coming and going all the time, good, bad, and worse. Tempers high. A man will draw his gun quicker to prove a point than he'll draw on his logic. This is the Voices of the West. Unable Francie's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Robertson, Los Angeles, Dan Galeoso is our guest. We're talking uh, about Custer movies on this, the anniversary of the um, Battle of the Little Bighorn. Harry and Bunker, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the White Stallion Ranch. Anyway, uh, I got one on work. Wait, wait, wait a second. We, we've got we got music here. We got music. I'm wait, telling you. Music. I'm telling you. This is this is uh, this is the seventh. Seventh Cavalry, Quick Step, and uh, this is uh, music from uh, the Fort Lowell Army Band here in Tucson. Yes, indeed. All right, go ahead, Bunker. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to mention one movie real quick. Uh, Bob Hampton of Placer, uh, 1921, and the reason I want to mention it is because one of the locations was Fort Huachuca. Hey, how about, how about that? that? I thought you'd like that, Harry. Yeah. Now, I worked on the Great Sioux Massacre, uh-huh. which was... A 
compilation. You have my condolences, Bunker. <laughs> oh, thank you, because you know that was that was a weird movie. Half the movie was it was from uh, Sitting Bull down in mm-hmm. Mexico with the tall pines, and the other half of the movie was out in Corona del Tucson with the Choyas. Okay, you know. <laughs> hey, if, hey, and it was totally like a low budget. Let's just get a quickie out because they robbed all that footage from Sitting Bull and yeah. Well, Ferks and Promkiss. You know what? Can, what more can you say? Well, there's, there's <laughs> but, but Ferks and uh, Sidney Salco, who directed both of them, was he was directed uh, Sitting Bull, which wasn't that bad. You know, with with Jay Carroll Nash, I like him as Sitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carol yeah Nash. I'm not fond of uh, you know. I describe that in my book manuscript is as a Mexican-made version of a Sandal and Gladiators epic. <laughs> That's a good description, yeah. yeah. Starring Steve Reeves. But we all have different taste bunkers, so, yeah, well, you know. I, now, I, I would like to tell you one of my gems, yeah, and that's the Twilight Zone episode. I've got that here. Yeah. Oh, that was a good one, actually. Yeah, that's a very good one. Well, what about the Time Tunnel uh, episode, Massacre? Yeah, that was, that was a good one, too. But... Uh, uh, no, that, uh, uh, um... You know, Hello. Dr. Quinn did <laughs> Twilight a, a five-episode story arc with uh, Dr. Yeah. Now that uh, uh, Twilight Zone episode, that was really, really good because, you know, you, here you have the modern military guys. Yeah. Uh, in, and uh, they're put out onto the battlefield, and it's like... Uh, they're on maneuvers. Uh, yeah. yeah. They're on training uh, maneuvers. Uh, What's happening here? <laughs> that's a great, that's that a was. great one. I love that one. Dan Galliano. Well, and I'll I'll give you a cute little thing off of that. Of course, in part of the storyline, and I'm convinced that Rod Serling, who wrote the episode and of course introduced it, was somewhat of a Custer buff or, or a little Bighorn Battle buff, yeah. because he went to a lot of trouble. Even though they filmed it out in Agora at the time, it even looks like some of the early photos of. Of the Little Bighorn River taken in 1878, 79. The monument is duplicated, and of course, the guys get lost with a modern tank, and you know they think they can go save Custer because they're in sort of some sort of time war. Yeah. And when their colonel goes to look for them at the end of the episode, their names and ranks are on the monument where all the guys uh-huh. who were killed there yeah. are. Yeah. Well, I'm up at the Little Bighorn around the time of the anniversary. And this is right after Desert Storm. And here comes a whole column of Montana State National Guardsmen. <laughs> and they come to take a break at the battlefield. A lot of tourists and stuff. And they, they park their, their trucks and their vehicles. And they go walking up towards the monument, which has all the names, at the top of the, the, uh, the hill. And so I walked up, and it was a young captain in charge. And I had my camera with me. And I looked at him, and I said, would you guys mind getting kind of around the monument and I'll take a picture of you all? The captain didn't miss a beat. He goes, Twilight episode, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Quick, so quickly, good. Dan Galeoso, what have you uh, got in the pipeline? Yeah. Oh, well, trying to get a John Wayne documentary off the ground to correct a lot of the politically incorrect stuff he's been accused of over the last thank, few years. Thank I got you. a couple of stories of you. You know, and... Uh, and in my pet Western artist project that we have to keep kind of under wraps a little mm-hmm. bit mm-hmm. and stuff. So that's another. And I'm writing a book with John Milius about his career oh. in film. We have a, a, a contract for that. Awesome. Stuff, so. Nice. That so and cool. some of those were Westerns, like Jeremiah Johnson. And Bucker, did you work on The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean? Yes, yes I he did. did. I stood he, in and doubled Newman. In fact, he poster, was hanging around. That poster <laughs> where Newman was sitting in the rocker and the guy's hanging behind him. That's Bunker. That's me. I'm just hanging around the set. <laughs> I had a feeling that might, might, might be the case. We dug up some really interesting stuff from some of John's scripts that, that uh, John Houston didn't use uh, in the film. So. You know, him, him and uh, Houston used to go out hunting every morning before shooting. In fact, when we shot the stuff with uh, Ava Gardner, we had to wait about an hour because we went up north where the tracks were, and they were out bird hunting and came in a little late. <laughs> they were bringing in quail and dove, from what I understand. Yes. Yeah. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Dan Galeoso, Thank for joining you, us. Thank we you, really guys. appreciate it. And, of course, you are, invite- you. you are invited to the program anytime, my friend. Anytime. Well, I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you very much. You that's, are an official henchman. Yeah, yes, you are. <laughs> we make you a henchman. Uh, that's it for this edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Thanks for joining us, folks. 
We'll be back next Saturday to uh, entertain you with something. <laughs> something Western. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 78, <laughs> 79, 80 greasy grassos to all of you out there. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzig's Voices of the West.